Hey, happy Sunday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, episode 93 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about how to stop being afraid of meat, inflammation on keto, practical whole food eating, and so much more. This topic is really important to me because when I first started eating quote unquote healthy, food quality played a very small role in all of that. And I very slowly baby stepped to where I am now. And so fast forward 11 years, and I feel like I still haven't figured it all out. And I'm just starting to really look at what I put on my skin, what laundry detergent I use. And so I really wanted to have this conversation because I think so many of us end up finding a keto way of living or maybe another way. And because, you know, 11 years ago, there weren't many podcasts, and there wasn't a lot of resources out there about healthy living. But now we're being bombarded by so many different things that we need to do right now, or like yesterday, that we bite off so much more than we can chew. And it becomes really unmanageable and also very expensive. And so I really wanted to have this conversation to show you that there are multiple ways to bite off little chunks and get started with eating better quality food if that is a goal for you. I've put together a little podcast extra for today's episode specifically. You can get it at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E93. And it includes everything that we are going to be chatting about today, including links and resources. And there are two cool things that I want to tell you about. The first is that the podcast and the blog and everything that I do has gone partner and sponsor free. You won't hear ads on here. Some people think I'm crazy for making this switch. But one of the motivating factors was because it was taking away from my mission to create free resources to help women on keto. So now with no more sponsor or partner work to focus on, I have a bunch more time to like live my life and also focus on things that make the most sense to help you. So that's why I started doing Wednesday podcast episodes. If you haven't downloaded a couple of the Wednesday episodes that I've done so far, I highly recommend that you do it because I think they're pretty awesome and I hope that you'll like them too. Basically, these are little short episodes. We're calling them mini-sodes because they are really little and they're just little keto breaks on hump day to keep you going throughout the week. So think of it like a little coffee date between you and I. I'm going to be chatting about personal things, lessons, struggles, my day-to-day life, and just general musing. So I hope you check them out. Also, if you're new to keto or you're feeling a bunch of overwhelm with your ketogenic diet, which is what we're focusing a lot on today, I put together a free guide, which you can get at healthfulpursuit.com slash free which goes through keto flu, testing, what to eat on keto, what to avoid, and just kind of goes through all the different things that you can look at and in piece by piece options so that you're not getting overwhelmed. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women, so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel.
Today's guest, her name is Steph Lowe. She's a sports nutritionist, triathlete, author of The Real Food Athlete, and founder of The Natural Nutritionist, a hub for celebrating the importance of real food. With a passion for spreading a positive message about real food and the incredible effect it has on performance, Steph launched The Natural Nutritionist in 2011 and is on a mission to inspire others to make a health a priority in their lives. So we're going to be chatting a bunch about nutrient density, whole foods, and If you have a copy of my digital program, The Keto Beginning, I chat a bunch about how these adjustments help balance your hormones while optimizing your healing process with the nutrient-dense foods. So if you have a copy of The Keto Beginning, you can check out pages 102 to 107 for more support with that. Okay, let's get to this interview. Hey, Steph, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay, so for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you? Yeah, for sure. So my name's Steph and I am the natural nutritionist. So I started TNN, as we call her, in 2011 with the aim of educating the world on the importance of real food. So our mantra is always jerf, just eat real food. And, you know, personally, I see clients with from all walks of life. You know, people always ask me, do I only see athletes? Because I do work with a lot of triathletes and endurance athletes. But essentially, I work with anyone that wants to improve their life with real food. You know, I've got an undergraduate degree in human movement and a postgraduate degree in nutrition. So Obviously, the combination of those two things are you know, perfect for athletes, but I definitely love working with all sorts of people. And in the clinic at The Natural Nutritionist, we do a lot of blood testing and, and stool testing and gut health and all those really cool, intricate things that we know, I guess, combine to optimize our health. Obviously, real food is the foundation, but we take a really holistic approach and, and, you know, of course, gut health is involved in that as well. And so what does keto mean to you? Yeah, interesting question because at The Natural Nutritionist, we definitely, we use the acronym LCHF a lot more commonly than keto. So obviously that stands for low carb, high fat conventionally, but it can also stand for lower carbohydrate, healthier fat. And I think that essentially, you know, my version of LCHF can also be keto. And I'm sure your listeners are quite familiar with the myths and misconceptions that have been attached to the word keto over the last number of decades, you know, whereas we obviously focus on a really well-prescribed keto template. So, you know, the foundation is obviously teaching your body to burn fat for fuel. And we know that when we can oxidize fat for energy, the byproduct are the ketones. And that means we've obviously got this inbuilt natural energy supply that is also anti-inflammatory. So that's obviously a really important long-term health goal, considering that inflammation is linked with many, if not all chronic disease. But when you can burn fat for fuel, you're a fat burner. And I just think that's a beautiful way to thrive because it controls day-to-day factors like 
your blood sugar control, your mood, your cravings, your appetite. And I know that you've experienced that firsthand, Leanne, as have I. It's life-changing. So for me, keto is that really well-prescribed template that starts with real food, but definitely has, you know, an abundance of non-starchy veggies, quality protein, healthy fats, but it's really important that it's optimized to the individual because, you know, keto doesn't necessarily need to be that deep dive to 20 or 25 grams of carbohydrates per day. So I work pretty hard to teach my athletes, my clients, and my broader audience that it needs to be that personal prescription and and then it can work for everyone. It can allow you to thrive. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's why I love your work. And I always <laughs> enjoy talking with you. Thank you so much. And so when it comes to food quality, I don't know if this was your experience or clients' experiences, but I felt like when I was looking at my diet overall, meat was kind of the last thing that I looked at quality for. I don't know why. Maybe it's a North American thing. Maybe it's a Leanne thing. But I feel like I always thought meat is meat is meat. Like as long as I'm eating meat, we're good. But do you see that that is a common thing or not so common? Yeah, it's interesting at the moment. I'm probably going to take a slight tangent, but I promise I'll answer your question. (laughs) Um, Do it. Yeah. So back in 2011, right, when I started educating about the importance of real food, the meat conversation was really challenging because back in 2011, most people still thought that saturated fat was the enemy, that meat would give you cancer. And obviously the keto word is too easily confused with the Atkins model where we're used to seeing these huge slabs of meat and people are really afraid of it being like a really high protein diet, which we know it's not. I definitely think early days, like, you know, around that 2011, there was conversations around meat, but I don't think we really understood the importance because it wasn't something that we were focusing on as much as maybe that broader just eat real food term where obviously meat fits into that conversation. Personally speaking, though, like my story is a little bit different. I was actually a vegetarian for 10 years. It was to hide an eating disorder that I had in my early teens, unfortunately. Um, But for me to be okay with introducing meat, I definitely had to look at how it was going to be really ethical and for me to feel comfortable with introducing a food group that I'd essentially been afraid of for a decade. And then, you know, obviously, as I speak to other people in the space and educate my clients, it is definitely a conversation I'm still having, you know, when we talk about someone's food diary or what they're, how they're building their plate, you know, I always go to that food quality conversation when it comes to the animal proteins. But to be honest, to this day, I'm still finding that people aren't aware of that. So, you know, I do spend a lot of time talking about the importance of some of the terms that will talk about today because, you know, you are what you eat, but you are what you eat eats, right? So the food quality, um, sorry, the, the protein quality comes from what those animals are fed and what they're exposed to in their environment. And that has huge flow on effects to you, right? Because you're eating it. You're eating that food. Mm-hmm. Completely. And it's interesting. Um, we both had similar experiences with meat. I was vegan for seven or eight years, um, also to hold very tight reins on my diet. And I was very scared of fat 
and meat. And I thought those things would make me fat and horrible. And that was a story I played in my head. And so I went vegan as a way to kind of mask that and as an excuse to just not eat the foods I was scared of. Did you find when you were in that space, like, how did you get over that fear of eating meat and yeah. and get over that? story. <laughs> well, it's it's actually a really long story, but I'll I'll try and um summarize it. So I I had, you know, definitely a disordered relationship with food and in conjunction with that, I was having some some mental health challenges, you know, looking back, I'm not surprised considering I cut out nearly all fats. So my brain didn't have fuel, my hormones didn't have their building blocks, and I was really suffering from a mental health point of view. Um I remember as a teenager going to the doctor and I was so close to being prescribed antidepressants. Um, I'm very glad that somewhere inside I knew that wasn't the right avenue. But I personally met someone that convinced me to go gluten-free because at the time he thought that was that would help my mental health and I didn't know anything about gut health or the vagus nerve or the significance of gluten from an inflammation point of view. Like I didn't know anything about it, but I was quite desperate to to fix my my challenges and just to feel happy again. Long story short, like for me cutting gluten was the the absolute life-changing moment. Like it was night and day how I felt once I finally got rid of the the gluten from my diet, from my plate, and that was the actually the catalyst for me to transition to what is jerf that real food template because in I was in that low fat space so nearly everything was refined right I was having low fat yogurt and 99% fat free salad dressing and you know low fat protein bars and everything was really refined so you know whilst cutting gluten was the catalyst I then was able to really learn firsthand how real food can change your your overall health and wellness. So that's when I went back to um, do some postgraduate study. So it was more from that personal experience and then obviously the education that I went through to understand the building blocks of what we need to thrive and you know, obviously it was, it was firsthand experience that I just couldn't deny. So it was quite powerful learning that. And that's why I get my clients to start to just experiment. You know, it's not Atkins. We're not asking you to eat hundreds and hundreds of grams of protein or animal meat per day, but it's a really important part of your health and wellness. And for a lot of people, it's the education that really helps them understand why they need to be including these foods. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, completely. It does hundred percent. And I spoke to somebody recently, I think it was on the podcast actually. And they said that they prefer the taste of like conventionally raised grain fed meat. Um, can we chat a little bit? I mean, I don't prefer the taste. I can taste it from a mile away and I'm like, but this tastes like chemical gross, but can we chat a little bit about the quality? Like, I kind of see it as a phased approach of like, at least for me and my experience, it was like, first, figure out how to eat food. Mm. <laughs> Next, figure out, you know, you know, this is a vegetable, this is a fruit, this is a grain, <laughs> this is a protein. And then I kind of went through the qualities of like, what do I need to buy organic for my vegetables? What fruits are safer organic than not? And grass fed meat? Oh, wait, it needs to be grass fed, grass finished. Like, what 
what are we looking for in a good quality animal protein, I guess, is my my big question. Yeah, that's a really important question. Firstly, I actually consider pasture-raised to be one of the most important considerations. Pasture-raised animals are raised in paddocks. They have the freedom to roam and behave naturally. They give birth basically how they would in the wild and they're foragers. So they get their food from the pasture and they basically are not fed these lab-designed food-like products that we see when an animal is in a cage and fed grains, which are essentially used to fatten them up, which definitely changes the taste. So I'll come back to that, but to fatten them up. So essentially they're able to get more meat to sell more meat, to make more money without the, you know, the ethical or the environmental decision. You know, you mentioned that conversation you had about the grain meat tasting better. Like it's going to be in general fattier and that's what some, you know, definitely like food connoisseurs prefer from a textural point of view. But what we know is if an animal is fed grains, the fats are actually omega-6. And omega-6 are our inflammatory fatty acids. And we obviously want to be moving away from inflammation, not adding more inflammation into our onto our plate. And I think that's a really important conversation because we know that the ideal ratio of omega-6 to omega-1, uh, omega-3 is one to one. But in some places, we're seeing a ratio of like 15 to 1 or even 25 to 1. So these huge intakes of omega-6, which is definitely a huge part of the health problem that we're seeing in the developed world. So obviously, if it's something you're eating every day, and for most people, it's at least a couple of times a day, you've really got to look at the quality of the fats in the meat that you're consuming. And if it's pasture-raised and fed of that animal is fed on grass, then you're getting a really beautiful anti-inflammatory fat supply and it becomes high in our omega-3s. And I think that's that's number one. That's essential. Mm, that's why I see a lot of inflammation on the ketogenic st- diet still. It's either that or dairy. Yeah. Can you imagine the Atkins template? Like, don't get me wrong. He's obviously done a lot of fantastic things for food conversations and, and definitely around refined carbohydrate disease. But these huge slabs of meat with no conversation really around vegetables or, you know, inflammation or omega-3s, like that, that's hugely problematic. So we we have to, we absolutely have to separate that Atkins from a well-prescribed keto diet that you and I talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's your take on when you go out to a restaurant, it's not the best, you're traveling and you know that meat isn't great. What do you do? Yeah. I think that's, again, what we need to think about in context. Like I personally, like I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't eat the meat. I would choose something else but it's different depending on where you live like and it depends on where you're traveling right so i personally when i arrive in a new location i go on a little bit of a forage so you know i'll get my backpack i'll get my water and i'll go for a walk and find out what restaurants are available or what supermarkets or what whole foods are available and and make the best decision i think in most instances it's actually possible to find something it's just not i guess probably our default 
when you're keto and you're fat burning, hopefully you've got really good blood sugar control. And if you had to take an hour to find something that was appropriate for your health goals, then that would be cool. Like your blood sugar wouldn't be a roller coaster and you wouldn't be hangry. So you can afford that time to look after what goes in your mouth. Again, it comes back to where you are. I think there's always going to be a better choice on the menu. And if you could avoid it, especially if it's happening a lot of the time, then that's, you know, that's my recommendation. If it's happening very occasionally, I think you can offset it because, you know, it's about what you do the majority of the time, right? We're not trying to be dogmatic or or put you into this, you know, this really restrictive, unhealthy relationship with food. But I think there's a way around it the majority of the time. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, So I've been very awesome with food quality, not from a standpoint of how before I would be like, oh my gosh, like this panic feeling of like, I have to do this or I'm a bad person. Now it's like, when I eat food, it, you know, when I eat meat that's grain fed, my joints hurt and I don't want my joints to hurt. Therefore, I don't eat grain fed meat. But when I'm on tour and I'm back to back in a new city every single day, it is impossible for me to like have the foresight to figure out where's the hotel? Where am I going to be? When's my flight? When's this event going to end? Because it's always changing throughout the tour. So for me, I just I fast all day and maybe I'll have like a fatty coffee right before a talk. And then in the evening, I'll try to aim for as good a food quality as I can. But oftentimes I'm eating conventionally raised meat. And I find that fasting is a really good tool when you're out and about and you just don't have the space. Would you agree? Um, And I mean, I'm on tour maybe eight weeks out of the year max, but would you agree with that? Or would you have another um, recommendation that maybe I haven't thought about or other people haven't thought about? Are you staying in a self-contained hotel? Yes. Yeah. For about six hours a day. Yeah. Is, Is it practical to cook? No, no. Mm. I mean, to answer your fasting question, I'm a huge fan of fasting. I think that's life changing when it comes to your metabolic health, but definitely traveling because it just takes the pressure off always having to find food. Like I remember, I think it was probably six years ago before I was experimenting with fasting. I remember being in Hawaii and having to order off a menu three times a day. Oh, the anxiety of trying to figure out what I was eating, what sugar was added to what smoothie and what salad dressing. And like looking back now, I wish I was fasting and I was only eating one meal a day because it would have changed the whole experience and the holiday. And so that's a strategy that you can definitely use. I mean, fasting is a muscle. You've got to train yourself to get there. So it's a process. We know that can, that takes time. Um, but that's a really, really important strategy. And I think for you, if you are eating grain fed meat, then you just want to make sure you're having as much anti-inflammatory nutrition with that. So you, if you can get your grass fed butter and, you know, you're having your, your abundance of vegetables, then you just, you just have to do your best to offset that. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because something I do when I know I'm going to be eating more inflammatory foods when I'm traveling is that I take more krill oil. So I load up on the krill oil and I'm taking that, trying to offset a little bit of the inflammation at least. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So that's, again, coming back to that ratio. So, you know, you want to try and drive a one-to-one ratio. So if you're having a little bit of omega-6, then yeah, up the omega-3s and get that ratio in balance. 
Amazing. I know that so many women listening travel a lot, usually for work where they're doing what I do on book tour, where it's just like from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. all day, you are working, you don't have access to food. So I wanted to bring that up when it came to food quality, because I think a lot of us think, well, if I can't follow my diet 100% and I can't find grass-fed meat, I'm just not going to do anything. Mm. And that energy around that, I just, I don't find that helpful. I'd rather just try my best with what I have. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the stress conversation is huge, right? So we want to look at 80-20 or 90-10, that balance of what we do the majority of the time is what matters. And to try and detach from using food or being so controlling around food, which only perpetuates stress, which we know is so detrimental to like, ironically, our fat burning capacity, but ultimately our longevity. Mm -hmm. Yes, completely. I've experienced that many times. Um, Okay, so you mentioned pasture raised before. Uh, Do you look for anything else on a label? And do you have any tips on where to find the right kind of food? Yeah, definitely. So next in line is free range. That's slightly different to pasture raised, but I think what the really important conversation is that the the animal is spending their entire life with free access access to the outdoors. But free range is a little bit tricky. There's been at least um, where I live some greenwashing with the use of this term. So free range could mean that there's 400 hens on a hectare of tear of pasture or 20,000. So obviously there's a really big difference in the quality of the animal's environment if there's 400 hens in one space or 20,000. So I think a lot of this is about educating yourself as to who you are purchasing from. So you can research that online. I think especially in this, you know, in 2018, there are a lot of the cartons actually have this information written on them. They will say something like only 400 hens per hectare. And I think that's being used in the positive sense now because broadly speaking, consumers are a lot more savvy and they're asking this question. So I think that we're now seeing some changes to the legislation where free range should only be a maximum of 1,500 hens per hectare. So obviously far less than the 20,000 that they you know that producers could have got got could could have got away with in you know basically five years ago. So this is talking about um, chicken and eggs, obviously, but I think that's again a really essential consideration because the health of the animal directly relates to you know what you consume. Mm-hmm. Completely. And do you find that um, I know here in North America, especially in the US, which is where we're based out of now, I find that a lot of the grass fed meat doesn't taste at all grass fed. When I asked a couple people about it, they said grass fed can mean a bunch of different things, including that the the cow only ate grass for the first couple of weeks of their life, or they were finished on grain, or they just had a couple of blades of grass, and they can said that they were grass fed. Do you experience the same? where you're from yeah you definitely got to again do your research because the the grass-fed grass finished is the goal because yeah absolutely the animal could potentially be fed on grains for the bulk of its life and then just fed grass at the end to get through that that loophole so especially if it's something that you're buying weekly that's definitely 
in your hands to do the research as to the farm and their ethics and exactly what's going on. And it doesn't take too much time to work that out. And then you'll know what brands to support. And that's, again, I think in your control to make sure that it's grass fed and grass finished if it's something that you're eating the bulk of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with me traveling, I think we've been to like, I think, 17 states in the last seven months. I'm noticing a trend with grocery stores where they make things sound better than they are, like organic chicken. (laughs) And you're like, that's really great. Good for you. But that says nothing. Or they'll have a big sign. um, You know, uh, what what did I see the other day? Oh, clean beef. Mm. Clean beef. And I'm like, what is clean beef? Like, I'm glad there's no dirt in this. Like, <laughs> what does that even mean, clean beef? I mean, and so I I agree with you. Knowledge is power and and listening to episodes like this and going doing a quick Google search. Like, even when I'm at the store, I'm often on my phone searching ranches. Like, I see a product and I'm like, grass-fed beef. Okay, are you actually? I'm looking up their website. Sometimes I even call them and I'm asking questions. And yeah, it takes time. And I never go to the same grocery store. Therefore, I'm always finding new things. But I think it's so important. And I've... I. So far in the United States, I haven't run up against the issue of not being able to find good quality meat. I mean, it's nothing like Canadian meat because Canadian grass-fed meat's like the best, but you you get what you, I don't know, it's just different. But do you see that same sort of marketing tactics over there? Oh yeah, especially in the really conventional supermarket brands. Like I personally don't buy my meat from a supermarket. I get it either direct from a farm or from the butcher. So it doesn't really have much labeling and they don't have a lot of capacity to greenwash things. But definitely when you're going to a more conventional supermarket, because this is the conversation that's been happening in the paleo space for you know, at least five years now. So obviously the the producers are aware of this conversation and they're trying to capitalize on it. So yeah, they can use these fancy words and signs and labeling and then it just becomes exactly what happened with carbohydrates over the last five decades if we're brainwashed, if we're just believing marketing companies that spend millions of dollars for us to buy their product over another. So it's always coming back to educating yourself. Like imagine if we had educated ourselves decades ago, we would have all avoided the problems of low fat and high carb and the world, like the developed world, would have avoided the refined carbohydrate disease that we're seeing if we had have done our own research and not just believed what we were being told. Yes. And it's still happening today. I went to the walk-in clinic yesterday and just all of the lies they have on those little TVs that share information. I'm like, guys, come on, it's 2018. Get with the times. Like, And, and it is really frustrating, but somebody sees that or hears that and those that aren't educated, I think it's just so important that... Um, people that are listening to podcasts like health podcasts and reading things and educating themselves that they pass on that information. If friends are curious, I wouldn't recommend talking to somebody who's not open to the conversation. But I I think, you know, like you said, knowledge is, is so important to this whole piece. 
Yeah, absolutely. And spending just a little bit of time looking for who you're going to support with your financial decision also means that, you know, you're educating yourself, but you can find ways to save money. I think buying these grass-fed and grass-finished products from a conventional supermarket is the wrong way to do it. I mean, you're not only supporting companies that may not have your health as their best interest, and it's a really expensive way to do it. And that's a fear of mine that someone's going to start with good intentions, but end up feeling like it's too much for the back pocket. So I think, you know, we can talk about this a little bit more, but the way you buy your meat can be really powerful. So it's not a budget constraint, and therefore it's a sustainable long-term change. Yes, I do really miss being able to just go to my butcher and know that the quality is good and being able to do that. It's so imperative and it's way cheaper. So can we talk about budget? Because I feel like a lot of people hear grass fed, grass finished, and they're like, that's not for me. I don't have $500 a week to spend on meat. Yeah, Um, for sure. What are some tricks and tools you've learned? Yeah, definitely. And this, again, is a conversation that I have with nearly everyone because I would never give someone a nutritional recommendation that wasn't practical for their their budget. And I think that just this is Australian dollars, so you'll have to forgive me, but the comparison is what's more important. If you were to buy a grass-fed steak from the supermarket, it's upwards to about $50 a kilo. And then if you buy it from a farm, it's going to be down around $20 a kilo. The difference is obviously huge. So I think the the number one goal is to acknowledge that this is not a product that you buy from a conventional supermarket. And again, depending on where you live, is it a butcher? Is it a market? Is it straight from a farm? And you may buy in bulk. So what we've done at home is we've actually purchased a freezer chest and I've just got that plugged in in the laundry hidden away. So when we buy our meat, it comes straight from the farm and we get what they call a family pack for my husband and I, and it lasts us three months. So we spend maybe $300 in one go, but then literally all I need to get to, to make a meal is, you know, my veggies and my healthy fats. So it's an initial investment, but then obviously you're going to save in the long run. So that's a strategy, buying in bulk, maybe looking at um, investing in a freezer. But if that's kind of not where you're at yet, then, you know, next in line is definitely a market. And you can even go towards the end of the day when they're discounting meat. So you can like, you know, work your schedule around that if you need to save some money. I think that's easy. That's a really beautiful way to make this sustainable and not stressful for your budget. Yes, I completely agree with you on that. So how have you learned about your body? I guess I want to chat a little bit too about, I think so many of us spend so much time about change this, change that. And we aren't motivated by the quote unquote right things. And not a lot of people know why all of this conversation is super important. Like what, what has changed in your body or your life by focusing on quality of your food just, or maybe what you see in your clients as well. Yeah. I mean, everything like for me personally, as I mentioned, the the biggest change initially was noticing an improvement in my mental health. And that was really what allowed me to fix my 
disorder relationship with food. You know, when you're eating low fat, when you're eating refined carbohydrates, you, I was I was literally counting down the minutes to, until the next two hours when I could eat again. And that for someone who's already obsessed about food and counting calories and carrying around that old school pocket calorie counter with her everywhere, eating needing to eat every two hours was absolutely perpetuating the problem versus food quality and, you know, obviously lowering my carbohydrates and allowing my body to eat the the quality fats, the omega-3s and the saturated fats, then, you know, suddenly I'm fixing my metabolism. So I absolutely had metabolic dysfunction from years of counting calories and dieting, my my blood sugar control, my 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 hormones, like, I mean, you know, firsthand, like it really has such a huge flow and effect to all areas of health. And with my clients, like I get a lot of people that are perhaps a generation older than me and they're the ones that have only really known low fat, right? So for the whole of their life, they probably saw their mom or their great grandmother you know, making things like broth and eating the fat off the meat. And then that, that quickly turned into the the low-fat era. And so they were then brought up on skim milk and low-fat yogurt and ketone bars and all these refined foods. And because they're that little bit older, they're really seeing, you know, quite significant health complications. So it, it not necessarily going to be weight, but if they've been eating a lot of refined carbohydrates, then of course they're going to have high body fat. They're going to have high inflammatory markers for a lot of people. They've got like basically they've created or the food that they've been eating has contributed to the pathway to prediabetes or even an autoimmune disease. And I think that's so tragic, but with the right education, a lot of that's reversible. Like, you know, we can put type 2 diabetes into remission and the same with when it comes to an autoimmune disease. Like you might never get rid of it completely, but you can basically put it into complete remission with no symptoms provided you're focusing on food quality and undoing the damage of the past. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Totally, it does. And I think a lot of people think that undoing the damage of the past is like a two month thing, maybe Mm. a month, 30 days. (laughs) Can we chat a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So obviously, it's always relative to the size of the problem. But um, yeah, it's a journey, like, especially when we look at the, the types of foods that we've all been eating. And for some people, it's literally 50 years, then it's definitely going to take time to re-correct that. Like the biggest picture that I see at the moment is what we call dysbiosis. So it's this imbalance in the bacteria, that internal ecosystem, and the bulk of that has come from the food that we've been eating. Obviously, there's the influence of previous pharmaceutical exposure, things like stress and toxins, but to completely rebuild your gut can take six to 12 months. So it's not 30 days, but I mean, doing a 30 day kickstart, I think can be really helpful because that can be, you know, the incentive to, to feel better and to start to experience some of the benefits of changing what you eat and prioritizing food quality. 
but ultimately like it's going to be a lifelong thing like why would you go back like why would you go back to eating poor quality food and and carbs once you know how different you can feel so we always try to take the focus away from goals like fat loss I mean you're allowed to have that as a goal but that won't come without health and fixing your gut and balancing your hormones so you know, a lot of what we do at the natural nutritionist is just to reframe our goals, which means that, you know, if you've got a goal of, of feeling better or having more energy, then yeah, you're going to feel that pretty much straight away, at least after the first couple of weeks. And then that can be a really powerful incentive for you to keep going and to evolve the process. You know, you might just start by decreasing the refined carbohydrates. Then it might be getting comfortable eating certain fats. A bit like you, Leanne, it sounds like you definitely went through that evolution of like, all right, well, I'm in this pretty bad place with food and, you know, how do I get out of it? You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So it's this step-by-step process that we take to develop a long-term strategy for ourselves and our family. And you don't need to rush that. I think it's just a change in perspective as to what you're focusing on and that, you know, you can't have anything without health. And we know that all health starts in the gut, right? So there has to be a focus on that as part of the process. Um, But, you know, we don't usually start addressing that till about four weeks in. So it's food first, of course. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Any other tips or strategies that you have uh, for women specifically who are wanting to make this food quality change? I know it's something you are so passionate about, just like food quality. So I wanted to just, if there's anything else you feel like listeners just need to know or something you struggled with when you were first getting started. Yeah, this may or may not be, you know, a sexy piece of advice, but I just think the basics are so important. I think that, you know, we can't thrive without focusing on the food that goes in our mouth. So we need to allocate time. It It's not going to work if it's something that you think about, you know, at seven o'clock at night or at the last minute. So I'm really passionate about getting people to prioritize food and, and to carve out time for it. So that might be time on the weekend when you sit down and get a couple of Leanne's recipes to get that you're going to make for the month ahead. Or it might be time, we call it the hour of power, where you get in the kitchen and you you obviously have already gone and bought the quality food, but you're starting to make some of the meals. Or it might be carve out time, carving out time where you're putting together a meal plan that allows you to focus on food quality and have things available so you're not getting stuck and trying to forage when you're really hungry and, and being stressed about trying to find something that is of quality, that fits in with your goals, that makes you feel good and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's just about carving out time. We've lived in this convenient society where food has been at our fingertip for so long, but it's it's rarely been quality food. So we've been stuck in this vicious cycle of, of being addicted to carbohydrates and obviously just basically fueling with whatever was available, which was never going to be a good decision for our current goals, but definitely and ultimately our longevity. So I just love the prioritization of it. And it might only be an hour a week, but I think it's a really important step so that it can be something that is on your radar that 
you know, over time, it will become part of your DNA. Like initially, it will be, you know, you might have to set reminders or create an appointment with yourself on a Sunday for that hour of power. But eventually, like you won't want to live without it because of the huge flow and effects that it has to all areas of your life. It'll become part of your DNA and you'll wonder how you ever lived otherwise. It's so life-changing. I just think it's it's something that we all need to make time to cut to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. I forgot about this recently and just, I don't know what I was thinking, like not preparing food. I used to do it and then, uh, well, I know what it was. I wrote a book and then I hated cooking so much. I just didn't want to cook anymore. And I just, I couldn't be in the kitchen. I couldn't make meals. And it was like, wait, what am I going to eat? So I started eating a lot of just like, you know, like keto jerky and nuts and seeds. And then I'd go days without having made a meal. And you're right, it does take time to get back into it. But then you're like, Oh my gosh, how did I how did I forget how to do this? It's so great. It's just all my meats are prepared and they're cooked and they're in the fridge. So when I'm hungry, I just I all I have to do is add vegetables and fat. And it's so easy. So I totally agree with you on that one. And it's something even, you know, a couple months ago, I was really struggling with and was like, Oh, right, that's a thing you need to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. And we all do that. Like I go through phases as well. I'm very lucky that I've got an amazing husband that does most of the cooking. So I don't know what I'd do without him. I'd probably be having jerky for breakfast, lunch and dinner. No, I wouldn't. Like I think you can always have a, a plan B. So obviously plan A might be, yep, that I'm going to cook my beautiful, you know, grass fed beef curry with cauliflower rice tonight. But if something happens, like in your schedule or with your children or with your work travel like what is plan b and i think that's really important you can always have some like you know a piece of steak in the fridge that's going to take six minutes to cook or even some beautiful pasteurized eggs to to scramble up with some veggies and to have with some avocado like that those kind of meals are honestly what i eat mostly midweek i don't have time to cook grass-fed beef curries with cauliflower rice that happens on a sunday so that I can eat for the start of the week, but having a plan B and all of my clients, you know, we speak about what is plan B, like what are you going to have if plan A isn't available? And I think, again, it's making sure that that's factored in when you go shopping. You can always have veggies and avocado and eggs or get just a steak that you know is going to be really easy to cook with some steamed veggies and some grass-fed butter. It's not about like an hour in the kitchen. It's about the hour of power at the start of the week to get you ahead, but then choosing meals that are on the plate in 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Don't you think people walk around with stories about how much time it takes? And I think most of it's BS. Completely. Like it's actually not hard. I mean, and the thing is, I've always thought, wouldn't it be cool to do a cookbook of just like my regular day meals, but nobody would like it because all it would be would be like meat on a plate with salt and some broccoli and coconut Oh my God, I know, me too. Seriously, I might be lucky to get broccoli, zucchini, grass-fed butter, salt and a piece of steak on the plate. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like it's not, yeah, it's not complicated. But you know, when I pull out a recipe book and I'm following along, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. I never want to do this. Mm. And it, it doesn't need to be that complicated, I think. I totally agree. And so for a lot of people, it can be about acknowledging those BS stories that they've been walking around with. But again, I think it's that firsthand experience. 
once you move into, you know, how to build your plate with the veggies and the quality proteins and the healthy fats, you can learn how simple it is to throw something together that doesn't need to come from a, you know, a long recipe with lots of ingredients and too many steps. Because I can tell you right now, I wouldn't do that more than once a week. And I think it's even less frequent than than that. And people are quite surprised, but you know, I love simple food. I think that's that takes the stress away and it gives you all the nutrients that you require to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amazing stuff. Where can people find more from you? Thank you so much. My online hub is thenaturalnutritionist.com.au, but I hang out mostly on Instagram. So I'd love for you guys to come over and say hi. My handle is thenaturalnutritionist. Definitely keep in touch. And if you have any questions, I'd absolutely love to answer them. So don't be shy. You can send me um, an email via my website or get in touch over on Instagram. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we will include all the links and everything in today's awesome podcast extra and little transcript that I made for you guys that you can get at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E93. It'll have all those details plus everything that we chatted about in one easy downloadable guide. So Steph, thanks so much for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again next Sunday to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be confused as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.